topic today is about awakening down under or Buddhism and spirituality in Australia. I want to start this uh, Dhamma talk with a quotation from Mr. Goenka. He was once invited at the United Nations giving a speech about religion and there were many other spiritual uh, religious leaders there and they talked a lot about uh, spiritual or religious conversion. So he says, this is a wonderful occasion, a time where we all can unite and serve humanity. Religion is religion only when it unites humanity. It does not deserve to be called religion if it is dividing people. Conversion, I am for conversion, but not conversion from one organized religion to another. Conversion from misery to happiness, conversion from bondage to liberation, conversion from cruelty to compassion. That is the conversion needed today and that is what we should try to implement. The ancient land <coughs> of India and Buddhism has not only given a message of peace and harmony to the world, to humanity, enlightened people has, ha, have also given a method, a technique, how to have peace and harmony. When it comes to peace in human society, we cannot ignore the individuals. If there's no peace in the mind of the individual, then how can there be real peace in human society? If I have an agitated mind full of anger, greed and jealousy, how can I give peace to the world? If I cannot find any peace in myself, how could I contribute to peace in our society? So first we have to find peace in ourselves, so we have to use mindfulness. All the Buddhas, Avadas, saints and seers in the world have given us this advice. Know thyself, find, find out about your own mind. You start understanding the universal law, the universal law of nature, which is applicable to one and all. When I start observing within myself, and I find that I am generating anger, hatred, ill will, animosity, I realize that I am the first victim of my anger. I am the first victim of my hate. I start burning inside, I become, miserable, I become a miserable person. Then only I start harming others. That is the law of nature. Once we become miserable inside, and that's how I feel sometimes when my computer is not working. <laughs> Once we become miserable inside, we do not keep this misery to ourselves. We keep on drawing this misery on to others. I make the ad entire atmosphere around me so dense, so, so that anyone who comes in contact with me becomes also miserable. <coughs> Once my mind is free from these negativities, when the mind is pure, then again the law of nature starts working and nature is starting rewarding me. I feel so peaceful, so calm and so happy again. So these seeds of divine pleasures, which, which bring nothing than divine pleasures within. Whether I call myself a Buddhist, a Hindu, Christian, Muslim or Jew, makes no difference. A human being is a human being, a human mind is a human mind. And the Buddha's famous saying, Nipanang Baramang Sukkang, means uh, if somebody is into meditation, it gives you the highest peace and the highest pleasure. 
So the human mind uh, can achieve amazing things. Conversion should be from impurities to the mind of purity. The, the human mind can change in amazing ways. There's no magic or no miracle involved. It's pure science of observing the interactions between mind and matter. Just by observing your mind and body, you can understand the law of nature. And everybody can do that. We are all just human beings. We can all achieve this progress in meditation. So when, when real change comes, the, it should come deep within our mind. When people become really spiritual, they start feeling this love and compassion deep within themselves. When I generate peace in my mind, the entire atmosphere around me becomes filled with vibrations of peace and happiness. This is the real conversion which is necessary nowadays and the real conversion which we should strive for. So this was the speech from Mr. Goenka and as you know, Goenka Vipassana is a worldwide organization. They have centers all over the globe, including one in near Melbourne. It's called Dhamma Aloka Heals Phil. I'm not sure where this is, but it's close to Melbourne. So they offer these 10-day retreats. And uh, also it's not the meditation I'm doing now. It's a little bit a different version of mindfulness meditation. Still, I recommend to do at least one 10-day retreat. So when it comes to Buddhism, <coughs> uh, the important thing is Jeto Vimuti, the heart or mind deliverance. So all I teach is suffering and the end of suffering by the Buddha. So all the Buddhist teaching has to do with your mind, change your mind, find real peace and happiness deep within you. Also you may notice that uh, the Buddha, when he started teaching Buddhism, he did not want to start a new religion or that was not his main agenda. He wanted to teach a new philosophy, a way of life, uh, teaching a technique how to transform your mind into peace and happiness. And also now, especially nowadays in the 21st century, I think we should present Buddhism in a modern, non-sectarian way. So if we teach secular Buddhism, which means only the deeper parts of the Buddhist teaching, presenting it in a non-sectarian way, similar to what Mr. Goenka or Vipassana is doing, then also people from other traditions, from other religions, will find it easier to practice this uh, technique and to liberate their own mind from all misery. Some of you may know uh, Banya Sobana. He says Buddhism should not be about implementing a 2,500-year-old tradition into the 21st century. Instead, we should use, should rather reflect it should rather reflect on an evolutionary result that boasts 2,500 years of progress, characterized by much wisdom and practicality. So he is also one who tries to teach secular Buddhism and uh, bring it in a non-sectarian way, so that others also find a chance to join us in and profit from this Buddhist teaching. One important part <coughs> of the Buddhist teaching is the metta meditation, meditation loving kindness. Also, I usually start the metta meditation on focusing on the heart chakra, is, which is in the middle of your chest. Now, there are different ways of getting into loving kindness meditation. This is just one way. The seven chakras in the body are effect, and they have been proven uh, nowadays. Uh, there are even machines who can 
pick up the colors of your chakras. So the middle one is the heart chakra and has the color green. And once you develop this loving kindness meditation, especially that chakra opens up and starts shining. So metta meditation is often used against anger and ill will, but also as an introductory into mindfulness meditation. When you practice mindful, uh, metta meditation a lot, there are a lot of benefits you can get from it. So as you sleep happily, you awake happily. You see no evil dreams. You are beloved by humans and non-humans, means spirits. Also, you are guarded by the spirits. Uh, nothing can harm you and uh, rebirth in a Brahma world. So the Buddha said if you <coughs> develop this metta meditation for a long time, you will be reborn in one of the highest spiritual places unless you attain any higher stage of real awakening. So there's a long list of uh, advantages of practicing this metta meditation, especially at times where you feel very tense or you feel there's anger or you're, uh, you're restless with somebody. Metta meditation can do wonders. So meditation is the heart of the Buddhist teaching, seeing things as they are, breaking the illusion of Mahamaya, seeing things uh, as reality actually is, so the Buddha compared our reality as an illusion, a dreamlike state. The only way to wake up from it, use the tool of meditation. <coughs> and here again the Kalama Sutra, my famous sutra. Believe nothing, no matter where you read it or who said it, no matter if I have said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense. And the Buddha was the only spiritual or the religious leader who said something like this, because the whole Buddhist teaching was based on experience, every part can be tested. The term he used is ehi basiko, come and see, find out for yourself, experience it, find out, do question everything, don't just believe. So the Buddha, the Every part of the, his teaching is based on experience. That's the way he attained Buddhahood. And also for us, the same way to liberate the mind is through direct experience. There is no religion higher than Drus by Madame Blavatsky. No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. <coughs> Again, pointing in the same direction, so all religions contain some part of dharma, but the real liberation, the truth, the dharma, stands above all religions. <coughs> the path can be sometimes difficult, so if you uh, practice because you have to deal with a lot of your past memories, a lot of karmas are coming up, in order to purify your subconscious mind from all these memories. So there can be a lot of challenges on your spiritual path. But uh, according to the Buddha, you can only make two mistakes when you are walking towards enlightenment. One is you never start walking, the other one you stop halfway. So as long as you start with your spiritual practice, you make an effort to start with your meditation, and you keep going, even if it may be sometimes difficult, you are sure to end up somewhere. So you will develop your mind and you will reach one of these higher levels of consciousness. As you know, I'm not very in, in uh, favor of holy books. 
So books can give you an idea, can give you an idea where to go, what to do and what to expect. But when you really start with your practice, with your meditation, it's better to forget about everything. Just trust your own experience. Later on, <coughs> you can uh, compare your experience with the teachings in, in the texts as well. So however many, <coughs> however many holy words you read, however many holy words you speak, what good will it do if you never practice it? So we have to sit down, do our own practice and get our own experiences. Also many are saying it is in the holy Buddhist books, that's why it is proven that it is the word of the Buddha. I would be even very careful with that one. So the books have been written down about 500 years after the Buddha and intentionally or unintentionally things have changed in the books. So maybe they omitted a few things and things have been changed. So the ultimate authority, if it is true or not, should be our own experience. There's a saying, it says, there's no Wi-Fi in the forest, but I promise you, you will find a better connection. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> the last three days, we didn't have uh, Wi-Fi in the BSV. It was very hot, you know. And <laughs> Adrian said, uh, it will come back soon, I'm sorry. And I said, as Buddhist monks, we should be able to manage one day without internet. <laughs> and, uh, but we are so used to it, and it's really sometimes difficult. Here what the meaning is, go back to nature. So if your tribe wants to go to the forest and meditate there, you will feel it is much more easier to uh, reconnect with nature and also to get deeper into your meditation. Even they say all this uh, electromagnetic pollution, the vibrations, they influence us in a way which is not very helpful for our meditation. So if you go back to nature, sometimes just go out into a park, in the forest, or into the bush, as they say here, then you will see it is much more easier to meditate in that surrounding. So the truth will set you free by Jordan Maxwell. <coughs> so we have to understand what is the basic Buddhist teaching, the core Buddhist teaching, and really implement it in our day-to-day -day life. Like the basic uh, virtue, the five precepts, an understanding of the law of karma, and then practice the vipassana or mindfulness meditation. There's another saying about religion, it says the doubt of your fate is not God testing you, it is the truth trying to emerge and free you. So sometimes we uh, very spiritual or religious people, they <coughs> develop uh, doubt in their uh, religious tradition. Often it is not so much uh, God testing you, but it is the truth which tries to emerge and set you free. In a world, <coughs> in a world where 1% of the population owns 50 to 80% of the planet's wealth, in a world where 35,000 children die every day from poverty and preventable diseases, in a world where 50% of the world population lives on less than $2 a day, one thing is very clear, something is wrong. So this is about the people who say, oh, what, uh, don't worry too much, everything is okay, everything is fine. But if you see it, these facts about our global society, one thing we can say for sure, that it is not organized in a perfect way, things have to change. 
You should also ask always the question, is it a truth or is it a lie? There's a famous Irish uh, researcher, Michael Cesarian is his name, he says, ask yourself, have I been sold a lie or have I bought a lie? And that makes a big difference. Because others always will try to sell you a lie, but it depends on how you, if you accept it or not. As Albert Einstein said, condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. And uh, <coughs> the Buddhist attitude towards this new information should be, we have an open mind, but we are very critical. So I think the real uh, perfect attitude should be, you are open for whatever new you hear, but also not accept it blindly. You are always very critical. You try to test it, <coughs> and if there's a lot of evidence, or you see it is true, then accept it as the truth. <coughs> Better to be slapped with the truth than kissed by a lie, a Russian proverb. So often the truth can be very harsh, or some say if you hear a lot of true things which are going on, it can be very depressing sometimes, but still it is the, true, it, the truth, it is a fact. And sometimes the lies can be very pleasant, with a very pleasant voice, but still it's a lie. So we should not go by the way which information is presented to us, we should rather find out is he or she saying the truth or not, and we accept it. So breaking the illusion, all matter is merely energy condensed to a low vibration. We are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death, life is only a dream, and we are the imagination of ourselves, by Bill Hicks. And as I said, he was one very spiritual person and he had a lot of experience into consciousness. Mind is consciousness which has put on, on limitations. You are originally unlimited and perfect by Ramana Maharshi. And I have been in his monastery in southern India, he has a, in Arunachala, and he was one of the outstanding Indian yogis who talked about anatta, the non-self nature, again a very experienced meditator. Albert Einstein, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. And there is nowadays uh, one study done which really connects science with religion, and that is quantum theory. And uh, many things the Buddha said 2,500 years ago is now proven with the quantum theory. So Buddhism meeting science. The very act of observation creates reality. What is the reality before observation? It is just all possibility. It is observation that creates reality. So the implication is without consciousness there can be no reality. And human consciousness is an uh, important part of the universe. So what they say in quantum theory is if you don't observe it, if there's no consciousness, it does not exist. Everything out there is just energy in, vibra in vibration form. And only if we observe it, it becomes real, it becomes physical. If you wish to understand the universe, think of energy, frequency and vibration. Nikola Tesla. If quantum mechanics doesn't profoundly sh uh, hasn't profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it yet. Niels Bohr. So it is a very revolutionary study, but showing again exactly the things the Buddha said. When the Buddha said about the mind is the forerunner of all things, mind made are all things, 
He pointed in the same direction, so without consciousness there is no reality, it is mind-made. It also shows through mindfulness or awareness meditation we can wake up and see reality as it is. So an individual who uses his inner energy and intelligence can transform mankind. Individuals working together create the collective consciousness of mankind. Those individuals who have shaken off ignorance who started realizing. Working together can generate the immense power to ignite the consciousness of the world. And that is also what Deepak Chopra talks about the critical mass. So not only on a vibrational level, but just uh, developed people working together can recreate our reality in a different way. So our responsibility is to work together. It is the responsibility of each individual to work towards building this collective consciousness of mankind. At this time with the planet at an ecological tipping point, it is very, very important that we make a change on a spiritual level. And by so doing, people will come to a fullness within the greater dimension of reality. So the Buddha talked about the Buddha nature or the enlightened mind. Again, if these uh, developed people working together on a spiritual level, we can change society for the better. So human, by nature, desires knowledge, Aristotle. So all the mystics and saints point out that deep within us is this urge to realize, to understand and to liberate our mind. If we would not be in bondage, then this urge would be futile, but we feel this strong urge to do something spiritually, to go into meditation, because realization is possible. So people are not addicted to alcohol or drugs, they are addicted to escaping reality. And if you talk with anybody, I've talked to many who have some addiction, like gambling or alcohol or smoking, Deep down there, it is always the urge to escape reality. Always the people, they can't stand reality as it is anymore, so they try to escape using any, any means possible, and then they get into alcohol or drug addictions. So deep down there is the, um, the deep uh, wish to make a change, or to the, the uneasiness about our reality, they can't stand it anymore, they try to escape to a different reality. <coughs> the New World Order, I said already once, is more of the same. So these people who talk about the New World Order uh, is basically, they want the same order under a different name. Again, continuing the same way under a different label. Uh, humanity wants something different. Humanity wants liberation, understanding, and moving on to higher levels of consciousness. Jimi Hendrix said once, if it was up to me, there would be no such thing as an establishment. And nowadays, with all the technology we are having, human beings could live together in a completely different way without having any elite or any leaders at all. There would be many different ways of living together in a better way. So man is born free and everywhere he is in chains. Remember who you are, where you came from, what is your human state of mind, or as a, we are not human beings having a, a spirituality or a mind, we are pure consciousness having a human experience. 
So we are all one. The awakened man is the greatest stranger in the world. He does not seem to belong to anybody. No organization confines him, no community, no society, no nation by Osho. So ultimately we are all one, we are connected on a spiritual level. That's also why group meditation works so wonderfully. We had a wonderful group meditation yesterday. So if you meditate, you generate some positive energy, all the people around you get it, and all the energy from the people around you is helping you in your meditation. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And uh, <coughs> if we start the spiritual path, the spiritual practice, there should be also some change outwardly. Uh, many say, mm, I don't want to change anything outside, I just want to change in my meditation. But automatically also from outside, a few things have to change. And the changes can be very little, so you start with readjusting a few things in your life, and then also you will get a different result from it. So the fastest growing religion is no religion, or these people who say I'm spiritual but not religious, and uh, <coughs> it's growing very fast. Some also call it, this is the hidden Buddhist uh, revolution, so Buddhism is growing under the label of Buddhism, and it is also growing under the label of spirituality or mindfulness meditation. And uh, the one without the label is even growing faster worldwide, especially in Western countries. And yesterday somebody asked me why it is growing mainly in Western society, not so much in uh, other countries. I think the main reason is because, like in, in the example of Australia, we get all this uh, knowledge from Asian countries, so we know about Buddhism, we know about the meditation techniques, and we have a society which is free to practice whatever they want to practice. Also the Australian mindset of being very liberal and very open to new things fits in perfectly, so that's why, especially in Australia and the Western countries, spirituality is growing very fast. So nirvana is freedom, which can be achieved when we purify our mind. So the ultimate goal of Buddhism or spiritual practice is to overcome suffering and to gain liberation. This again, this Nipanang Baramang Sukang, which the Buddha used many times at the end of a Dhamma sermon. He ended many of his discourses with Nipanang Baramang Sukang, meaning liberation is the highest bliss. Whatever bliss we can get from our, uh, enjoying the five senses, a much higher bliss you can gain in your meditation or through liberation. We are not in Kansas anymore, as they say in America. So our global society has serious problems. We have to make a real effort to make a change. The solution lies in spirituality. So on a spiritual level, we can recreate our society. We can make a change for the better. Arise, awake, and stop not until the goal is reached. Another very famous uh, spiritual teacher, he was very famous in America, was this Swami Vivekananda. Also he was from a Hindu background, but he knew a lot about Buddhism and about spirituality. I have been in, in uh, one of the uh, monasteries in New Delhi, uh, Swami Vivekananda Center, and uh, <coughs> they also have a very open approach and they try to present spirituality in a non-traditional way. 
So coming back to Australia, the sun is shines on Australia and uh, I can see a lot of great potential and have great hope in Australia while the chaos and the problems multiply in the US and the EU and worldwide. In Australia and New Zealand we can say, see some great differences. Also the country is very stable, the people are very liberal minded, open minded and we have a lot of uh, Asian people living in Australia. So all this connection with the original Buddhist teachings, the spiritual teachings are there. And because we have the freedom here to practice whatever we want to practice, spirituality and Buddhism is growing very fast. So I hope there will be, uh, they will introduce more Buddhism and spirituality also in the schools. Ideally it would be they teach some ethics and mindfulness in the normal schools. There's a range, uh, a rare change, a chance for Australia to introduce these teachings in the education system to use the ancient wisdom of Asia to create a spiritual society, which could be the envy of the world. So I said once about America, it was known <coughs> it was known as the land of the free and land of the brave. Australia could be the future land of the free and land of the brave. And also many Australians who visit America, they say uh, from, uh, Australia looks like a better version of America. And uh, <laughs> so many mistakes uh, they made in America, we shouldn't repeat it here. We have a chance to do something better over here in Australia. There's a school, and uh, these are the students at Dalesford Dhamma School. Uh, they begin their day with 50 minutes of meditation. As you can see, they're not even uh, uh, children from Asian backgrounds. Most of them are white uh, Australians, Aussies. And uh, it's wonderful that we have such a Dhamma School close to Newbury. And uh, that would be a, a role model for introducing more such schools in Australia but also more Dhamma practice in the normal schools all around the country. Ajahn Brahm is one of the very outstanding monks here in Australia and most probably the most well-known monk actually. So he's famous worldwide, especially for his liberal, deeply spiritual and open-minded teachings. And also there is a difference, but he's mainly from the Thai tradition, I'm from the Sri Lankan tradition, but usually I meet him once a year, we had some very good discussions. So <coughs> we are on the same page, how we present the Buddhist teaching in an open, liberal way. And I have the highest respect for him and all his work he's doing in Australia. He's also known for one thing, and that is the Bikuni ordination. So he started in Australia with the Bikuni ordination, uh, and. Uh, uh, there was a lot of resistance from the Buddhist uh, Thai Sangha, for example. And uh, to give a little background to this, in many of the Asian countries, they say the bhikkhuni ordination is no longer possible because the lineage is broken. That means back in history, uh, for bhikkhuni ordination, you need 20 high ordained nuns. If you don't have the 20 anymore, they say it's not possible to ordain or keep up the lineage. Uh, and uh, they say the monk's lineage is unbroken, about which I'm not so sure. Because there was a time where in Sri Lanka the Bhikkhu Sangha also died out. There were only lower, uh, like uh, novices, but no higher ordained monks anymore. 
they reintroduced it from Burma. At another time, it died out in Burma, so they reintroduced it from Thailand. So it's not sure if the lineage is really unbroken. And it's not really the most important thing. So if we, if somebody wants to practice uh, the bhikkhuni or bhikkhu life, then they should also get that recognition. So what Arjun Brahm did with reintroducing the Bikunis into Australia, I 100% agree with that. And I think in the 21st century to uh, keep up this discrimination between men and female is no longer holding up. So whatever the past, the historic reasons may be, I think it's just a logical thing to do in the 21st century. If we go back one step further, if you say pure consciousness, does not have any gender. So in pure consciousness there is no male or female. When we are reborn, we take up the role as a man or a woman. We are reborn and we identify with a certain gender. Also through rebirth it may change. One day you may be reborn as a man, the another time as a woman. So it should not be any real reason to discriminate in the Buddhist order. And I think in the 21st century also it makes not a very good picture for the Buddhist teaching. So I agree with the move uh, of Ajahn Brahm to start with this ordination. Also from uh, <coughs> Thailand or from some uh, traditional countries uh, the, the response was not so good uh, because they stick on to this orthodox uh, ritualistic idea that it is no longer possible, the lineage is broken and they cannot ordain nuns anymore. That's why we have in many Asian countries the nuns are dressing differently, so they are living basically the monk nuns life, but they are not recognized as bikunis, which uh, is very unfortunate and I think it's very outdated. So I think in this way also Australia can be a forerunner that we do not make any distinction. Whoever wants to live this life as a monk or a nun should be recognized as such and important again is the practice and not the lineage. Newberry Monastery is also a very rare project, so there also we try monks and nuns living together peacefully. Also um, the BSV of course started the whole project, but Arjun Brahm is also supporting it very well. So again, if that becomes a success, it would also show that this is possible and it would create a good picture for the future and also others might start to copy that. There's a Hopi prophecy from the Hopi Indians in America. It says, <coughs> when the earth is ravaged and the animals are dying, a new tribe of people shall come unto the earth, many colors, creeds and classes, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again. They shall be known as the warriors of the rainbow. And so they predict and that they give much more details about the time when this will happen. And all the points are actually fulfilled right now. So they say uh, at a time like this where nature is suffering, animals are dying and human society has, faces huge problems. There will be a new movement of spiritual people from all different uh, classes, different countries, different cultures. They will uh, be united, not by uh, their background, but by their practice. So there will be all spiritual, same-minded people who make a change and who save our global society. So hopefully that uh, prophecy will be true. 
And we can see many developments in that direction. And I think the practicing Buddhists or the spiritual people will be a big part of these warriors of the rainbow. So to free our mind is the most important thing in the Buddhist teaching and in spirituality. We should not uh, accept any ideas, any beliefs blindly. Use your meditation to liberate your mind, to free your mind, and also to join this global movement of spiritual people to make us a, a change outwardly, to change our society for the better. Now, <coughs> I've said many uh, good things about Australia. I have one uh, suggestion for change, the flag. <laughs> Uh, why do you copy a flag, uh, the British flag, why not make your own? So there are many suggestions of Australia should have its own flag and uh, there's a good suggestion which is this one. They say this would be unique Australian, it looks nice and uh, <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> it would not be just a copy of another flag, it is uniquely Australian. But I have even a better suggestion and this is this one, see? And, uh, <laughs> I made it myself <laughs> because Buddhism and spirituality is growing very fast. This would be a wonderful, looks nice and has a deep meaning. The Dhamma Chakra, as you know, is not only a sign for Buddhism, it is a sign for righteousness. It is a sign for the Dharma, for any good spiritual practice. So it would be a very nice flag and it would be a unique Australian flag. And we should suggest that to the government. <laughs> So when it comes in Australia, usually I come, I try to come now once a year and I have two places. One is in Perth, the Shalangan Temple, but my favorite is the Buddhist society out of many reasons. Uh, one is because it is very non-sectarian, so it is many different teachers are coming here. And especially the people who come to BSV are very open-minded. They're really interested in practice, in understanding, in making some spiritual progress. So there's less ritual here, much more the deeper parts of the Buddhist teaching, which makes it a unique place. I have been told uh, that it's the first Buddhist place in Victoria, is, uh, I think it's true. And uh, also it's a small place, but it's still an outstanding place and cannot be compared to any other Buddhist place in Australia. Also with the BSV committee does a huge service to this place and to Buddhism in Australia. So this time I really connected with all of them. President is here today, Vice President, our Secretary, Secretary is over there. Uh, so uh, I connected with all of them, they do a great service and especially now building up Newberry Monastery is a difficult task, so they are under stress. So I hope that they will continue uh, their great work, continue in harmony for the benefit of this place and also for the, the benefit of Buddhism in Australia since they set a different example, some non-sectarian approach uh, based on your experience and meditation. There's a saying in Europe, it says, don't worry about the world coming to an end today, it's already tomorrow in Australia. <laughs> <coughs> so we shouldn't worry too much. Sometimes when I call my Sometimes when I call my friends in, uh, I send a message, one of my friends had a uh, birthday in, in Germany, <coughs> in Austria, sorry, and when I sent the message, he said, not yet, tomorrow. <laughs> 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 because here it's already tomorrow. 
So for me also, when I teach Buddhism and I teach in uh, different, a few different countries, uh, when I teach something, I try to teach it in a little different way. I try to introduce a little bit more uh, nowadays uh, problems about society as well. But the main approach is always on the meditation and on the uh, real experience. Also, when I say new things, I do not expect anybody to accept anything blindly. I try to just arouse interest. I present information. If anybody's interested, you can research it on your own. The last thing I would want is something, somebody believing anything blindly. So it is just meant to uh, arouse some interest, to spark some thinking, and also to push you towards your real practice of meditation. <coughs> so at the end again, uh, much, much merit to the PSV committee for inviting me this time over here. I was three months here and the time passed so quickly. Usually when the time passes quickly, that means you have spent a very happy period, otherwise time stands still. So the three months passed very quickly. The idea is uh, I will try to come again uh, this year in November after the rain season. So Arjun Nisarano is coming for the rain season. I will try to come after that again. So uh, that would not be too far away. I also am reconnected with a lot of very interesting people here uh, in my meditation class and in the summer uh, Sunday Dhamma Talks. So it was really a very interesting period and I really enjoyed my time here. So thanks very much to the committee and thanks to all of you for joining my classes. So may you all <coughs> be able to free your mind. May you all find peace and happiness, uh, enjoy your spiritual life, keep going in your meditation, in your uh, Dharma practice. May you all be able to free your mind and reach levels of higher consciousness. Sadhu, sadhu. At the end, as promised, I show you just a few pictures from my monastery in Sri Lanka. And actually last time I had quite some, I had four groups from Australia to come there and visit me. Uh, many Sri Lankans anyway go like once a year to uh, Sri Lanka for a visit, so they can also come to see my place. It is on the southeast coast of Sri Lanka, it's called uh, Sastrala Monastery. But if you want to check it on Google Maps, for example, it's called Maninaga Papada, which is the ancient name of it. You can see down there the Yala Park, which is the biggest uh, national park in Sri Lanka. So it's on the back side of this national park. Sastra Valley is the name we use. It's a big area, huge jungle near the beach. It's a very ancient monastery, but it was uh, abandoned for a long time and it was, uh, they restarted it about 10 years ago. Now it is a monk's school, so we have young monks there, we have a school directly there in the, the temple. And uh, so they teach all the normal subjects. When I am there, I teach uh, meditation and also a little bit English. This is the meditation just in front of my hut. So, uh, I get them to do some meditation. Usually um, I, I push them a little bit to do the meditation and if I say, come, let's meditate, they're happy to do it. But if I'm not there, I don't think they practice too much. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to start again when I come. This is the morning meditation. So as I said, together with me, they like to do it, but they need a little bit of push to do it. As it's a deep, uh, uh, big jungle, so there are wild elephants around every day. They come to see us in the evening. Uh, during the day, you can't see much of them, but in the evening they come out and uh, they walk all over the place. 
a lot of uh, peacocks. So it's a real nice natural uh, setting. And as I said, it's a <coughs> very ancient place. So we have many of these ancient uh, caves there. This is one of the repaired caves. So we built a few rooms under the rock. Uh, so this is for visitors. This is the chanting in the evening. The young monks do the chanting. This is the when we built Maikuti, it was up on a rock a little bit away from the other temple and all the other monks were also helping. Uh, uh, when we started building, you know, the young monks were very excited to help them uh, with the work and we had to carry up everything by hand. And after three months hard work, then uh, they were exhausted, they couldn't do it anymore. So I still remember some sort of went down to the temple, asked the monks, so let's go do some work. And shum, all were gone. <laughs> <laughs> and they were hiding behind the temple somewhere. <laughs> it, it was just too much. So then at the end, there's an army camp nearby. So the soldiers were helping to finish the place. And uh, this is the finished the finished one. So this is the finished kuti. And uh, as I said, it's a perfect place for my meditation. When I'm in Sri Lanka, I spend a lot of time on my own doing my meditation and I teach a little bit the young monks. So if somebody is anyway going to Sri Lanka or you're planning any visit, pay us also visit there. Uh, close by is one tourist village, it's called Arugambe. So many, even Australians are going there. It's famous for surfing. So once you are there or in that area, you are welcome to see our place as well. We put up a donation box for everybody who is likes to help a little bit. Any help is appreciated. The main website, theasastrovela.com, is no longer active. This is the old one. But susarasweebly.com, there's a page about Sastrovela on that as well. Okay, with that, we come to the question and answer time. So do we have any questions about the Dhamma talk? Anything would like to ask? As we said, this is my last Sunday talk this time, so last chance to ask any questions. <coughs> Hello, Bante. Hello. Uh, in the in the uh, in this, um, I don't know, in the chanting, in Anichavat Sankara, at the end, the very end part, uh, where it says the, I think, Anichavat Sankara Upadva Dhammin Upadjita Nirhanto, Tesam Upasana Sukko. What does that mean exactly? Sorry, say again, the last line is what? Anichavat Sankara Upadva Dhammin uh, uh, these two lines, Upajita Niruhantu, Tesam Upasana Sukko. If you could translate those two lines, please. Uh, you know, I'm not the Bali expert. Okay. <laughs> so I have to see it, then I can say more to it. And Ichavata Sankara is everything is impermanent, I know that one, but I can't remember the last line. So if you show me the, the text, then I can say more to it. Okay. Uh, we can have a chat then after that. So um, I can't remember the last line, so sorry. We, we check it later on, huh? okay? So I'm not the Bali expert, so I'm very practical. So, but this one we can check. When I see the text, I can explain it. Yeah. Okay, anything else? There's another one there. Hi. Hi, Badu. I just want to know that um, it seems like with meditations, they require a certain mental capacity. Mm. 
what happened to people who hasn't got that capacity? What can they do to help themselves? To, to go to a quiet place? Huh? Say, say again. Christian <coughs> means if you have certain mental issues. Ah, okay. Ah. Yes, like a mental disability. Yeah, okay, okay. They, uh, now if in certain cases they can still do meditation, but in some cases may not be possible. What they can then do is practice mindfulness. Now, so uh, then in that case it would be more advisable to do just practice mindfulness during the day. What they can do is also my, uh, like the walking meditation, do that, do that very mindfully. And in some cases, it depends on each, each case would be different, but in some cases I would suggest only to sit shortly, like say just five minutes, do some little meditation, or try just to uh, focus the mind on your breath. But more important would be to do practice mindfulness during the day and do some kind of walking meditation. But each case would be different, so we ha would have to talk uh, with each one individually. But if uh, there are some real mental issues, uh, then long time meditation is not very recommended. So if you sit like one hour, it could, uh, through the concentration, it could increase the problem. Uh, so it depends on each case. So we would have to talk uh, with each person directly and find out what is the best solution there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, any other questions? There's one over there. There's one there. <coughs> Mountain, this is a simple question, but uh, when we are meditating, you said we are purifying the inner, mm -hmm. uh, but you also mentioned about the external, the change, the external, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, to simplify our living, I presume, but can you just expand on that, please? Mm. Uh, mainly it is an inside job, so in the spirituality or in Buddhism, mainly we work on our own mind, we do the meditation, the main aim is to liberate your own mind or to move on to higher levels of consciousness. But then indirectly or directly uh, some change will also happen outside of you. So you will influence society on di in different ways. One is just the vibrations you create will create a change around you. So all people who get in contact you, with you they will feel this peace and harmony and they will also start changing. That's one way. The one I explained here, I know this with uh, quantum physics is very deep and uh, a little bit difficult to understand, but since the Buddha said everything is a dreamlike state or it's mind-made, uh, that means also on a deeper level you can recreate uh, reality on a different way. So on that level also we can create a change in society. The other way is of course just the obvious one. Once you are deeply into spirituality, you talk with others, you influence other people around you. So little by little there is you create a change also in society. And also what happens in my case in many cases, once you are really into deep meditation, <coughs> then also you start seeing things in society much clearer. So like uh, if you're not much, uh, um, the eyes are not much open, people are just accepting things and they think everything is just fine. But once you get into deeper meditation, also automatically you can't avoid seeing also things which are going on in society. So you see, ah, this is wrong and this is not good and this should be changed. So that also naturally it's happening. And then many people also start researching a little bit what is actually the problem in society and they start also talking about it. So in many different ways, through your spiritual practice, you start also changing society on the outside. And that's the idea of uh, making a change outside there. 
but uh, the main focus is on your meditation. Okay, thank you. Anything else? We have one hour there. Adrian is very busy, you have to go here and there. And there. Good exercise. <laughs> Good exercise, yeah. <coughs> no, uh, she, the behind, behind there. <laughs> Hello, Bhante. I came across to my reading saying that all Buddhas are being enlightened in one place, which is India, Bodh Gaya. Mm -hmm. Even the next future Buddha is going to be mm -hmm. there as well. As I was wondering why. Why only India? They say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time he comes to Australia. <laughs> there are. Um, it says so in our texts, yeah, but I'm not sure about it again because it is just in the books. But there's a belief that all the Buddhas are born in India, and uh, but like in Thailand they say the Buddha was a Thai, and <laughs> it's, there are some monks in Sri Lanka who say he was a Sri Lankan, and so we are not 100% sure about it. No? And I think there's a group of monks in Sri Lanka, for example, they say he was born, he was living in, in Sri Lanka, and they even argued this village is Bodhgaya and this is Lumbini, and so they found everything there. And they did a lot of research, but I think it's, it is not really true. Their main uh, argument is, because India is now mainly not a Buddhist country, so it is not, he cannot be, have been there in India, which is nonsense because things are changing. Now, so maybe at that time India was a top country, now it is not, so it's always changing in so, uh, dur during our history. Uh, so there's a belief it's always in India, or like the Dalai Lama, they say he was reborn always in Tibet, but then uh, I think this Dalai Lama, he says uh, he does not want to be reborn again in Tibet. Now he wants to be reborn in India or somewhere <laughs> outside the Chinese control. <laughs> and so it may change. I think it changes. The Buddha, uh, a Bodhisattva, a Buddha, usually chooses a place where people can understand the teaching. So if it's a, a country or an area where people are very developed or they are on a high level, only then it makes sense for a Buddha to come and teach the Dhamma, because otherwise people just can't understand it. No? Then even if the Buddha would be there, he would teach the Dhamma, but nobody could understand it, so it makes no sense. No? So I think he, not necessarily that it's always India, I think he chooses the best place. No? So whenever the time comes for the next Buddha to be reborn, he will choose a place where there are the most, the most chance for people to understand his teaching. So, if we strive hard, it could be Australia again. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Any other question? <coughs> Thanks, Mante. We've got two online questions. So, the first one is, um, what allows the conditioned mind to break the cycle of delusion at what point can one come to be able to trust the direct experience and the ability to distinguish between the truth and lies? So there's a follow-up on that question, which is, um, it's in regard to the self-generating nature of delusion to trap the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the many ask us about the, what is the real sign of progress so that you can trust your own experience. Now, first of all, there are, it starts very simple. So once you get into meditation or you start spiritual practice, then just if you feel more calm and relaxed when it's helping in your day-to-day -day life, all the negative emotions getting less, you get less angry, less greedy, 
and all the good qualities, you're more compassionate, you connect with other people. So all these are signs you're practicing in the right direction. So you develop faith in your own uh, practice, in your own meditation, you know you're going in the right direction. That means you trust your own experience. Then of course it could happen, especially with uh, attainments, that happens often that people say, I see light or something. Uh, in this uh, Vipassana meditation, the most important thing is to note everything. So whatever happens in your meditation, even if you get some very pleasant experience or you see some wonderful things, just note it and move on with the meditation. So as long as you keep going, you will get more and more experience. And once you get real uh, insights, like I talked last time, I think about this Vipassana, Vipassana Jnanas, once you get one of these insights about <coughs> impermanence, about the non-self nature, usually the experience can be compared to a, like a déjà vu. They say a déjà vu is not just remembering something, it's like you are startled, you are really shocked by the experience. It's so clear that you know something huge has happened in the meditation, you just know some, something real deep has happened. So then there's no way to disregard or not to trust that experience. It will be so clear that it changes your life completely. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so the second question is from the Netherlands. At what point, sorry, when at a point there is much and such stillness in the mind, no craving, no past, no future, I feel so alone and lost in that emptiness. What to do? Can Buddhism give the answer to that? Without meeting you directly, it would be difficult to say exactly what that is. It could be many things. So if you experience an empty, peaceful state, it could be connected with uh, concentration meditation, that you fall in the empty state. It depends if the senses are still open, if you're still aware, or if you're like in an absorption state of mind. If it is anything to do with vipassana, progress in vipassana, there is an experience of sunyata or emptiness. But usually, the, if it's the real uh, vipassana experience, usually you don't feel uh, like lonely in that state. So even if you practice all alone, you feel like uh, you're connected on a spiritual level. But without meeting you directly, it will be difficult to say exactly what that is. But the important point is the meditation, again, use mindfulness to continue. And even if this state, like empty state, comes, try to note it. Say, okay, this is this state of mind again, and you move on with your meditation. Okay, thank you. Then, uh, what's the time? Uh, maybe one more question, if someone is there. Otherwise, we... There's one far behind again. <laughs> good, good morning. I thought um, <coughs> Buddha originated in Tasmania. But <laughs> um, my, my question to you is in regards to how does one deal with negative people? Negative people? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Now the Buddha's advice is to associate yourself with noble friends. And that also makes a lot of sense. Uh, you try to surround yourself with same-minded people or spiritual noble people 
who are practicing the same way, you, they will support your part and you will support them. There are many stories the Buddha has given about when you associate people who are, like let's say you have a group of people who go to, the, to bars and drink every night, then even if you don't want to do, sooner or later you will join in or there will be the group pressure to uh, do whatever they do. So if you surround yourself with noble f people, noble friends, then also they push you in the right direction. If you meet uh, people who are uh, different on a lower level, then just practice compassion or kindness, understand that they are forced by their own mind, or many people have no control over their mind, just, just the mind is asking things and they roll along with it. Without meditation, often we don't have any control what we actually do. So if you are into meditation, you uh, should be happy that you are on a different level, but the main advice of the Buddha is surround yourself with noble friends. That's uh, one of the most important things. When Ananda said this once, and I think I said it last time, when Ananda said once to the Buddha, I think uh, half of the noble life is noble friendship. And the Buddha said, no, 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 it's wrong, wrong. The whole life is noble friendship. So it means it's very important with which people you associate, where to go, and uh, the people around you, they will support your spiritual practice like, like nothing else around you. Okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, I think we stop with that. At the end, uh, a short chanting to bless you all. Sabitiyo vivachantu saparogo vinasatu Mati pavatandarayo sukidiga yukubhava Pavatu sapamangalang rakandu sapadivata Sapaputtanu bhavena sadasati bhavantuti Etang santang etang banitang Yadidang sapasankara samatu Sabupati padinisakko Tanhakkayo virago nirodo nipananti sadhu sadhu. So again, thanks very much for coming. Have a very nice, peaceful day. You're all invited, of course, to join the community lunch on the other side. Others who have to leave, so thanks very much for coming and have a very nice Sunday. Thank you.